Weekly News by iGaming Next is brought to you by Playson, quality games since 2012. This episode is sponsored by Zimpler. All right. Good morning to our friends over in the United States and good afternoon to you, Nico. Great to have you back here on the uh, iGaming Next Weekly News. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm good. And uh, first of all, thank you for having me once again. Uh, feels good, first of all, seeing you. Uh, the other half of the dynamic duo, uh, letting me shine just a little bit. So thank you. And uh, yeah, looking forward to some interesting uh, topics. How are you? How have you been, Paul? Uh, Paul Pierre? <laughs> well, they, tr they tried to separate us. They tried to take us apart, Nico. But at the end of the day, here we are again. I'm happy exactly. to have you back here for me. Yes, uh, for Hollywood me, I'm doing loves a comeback. Hollywood loves <laughs> exactly. a comeback. <laughs> exactly, classic comeback story. Classic comeback story. <laughs> no, I'm I'm great. Uh, I'm great, Nico. I'm happy to be uh, to be back here again. There's uh, a lot of interesting uh, things to talk about today, and you know why I love this uh, uh, weekly news broadcast because it kind of forces you a bit to uh, take that extra step to read the news, uh, go a little bit deeper in in the um, in the current state of play to understand and so on and so forth, so that we can have uh, an interesting conversation to today, Nico. But uh, you know, just to summarize a little bit what we have ahead of ourselves. So from an Igermin's perspective, um, some interesting news in Sweden this week, uh, who have uh, the Swedish uh, legislator, the SGA, have introduced a new B2B license, uh, which uh, have been talked about for a very long time. And it has been speculated around. And now, finally, we have the details of uh, this B2B license. This, of course, is interesting. Uh, well, especially from a public market perspective, you have the likes of Evolution, uh, who have been kind of roaming freely in Scandinavia and Sweden without paying any taxes. And the uh, question was going to become here, like, are Evolution now uh, obliged to pay taxes, for example, in, 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 uh, in this new uh, licensing regime, just like the B2C operators uh, are, uh, which they actually won't have to do. So we're going to talk about that a little bit in the uh, episode here today. Um, number two, as a story, is... Um, that uh, the American Gaming Association, they uh, released a study the other day uh, saying that more than half a trillion dollar is illegally gambled uh, via, uh, via unregulated uh, operators and, um, uh, and game gaming machines in the United States every year. Uh, quite a substantial amount of money. Uh, AGA, of course, uh, wants to make the point here that uh, the, um, uh, the, the, uh, especially the states were gambling and online gambling is not uh, regulated um, is losing out on a lot of tax uh, revenue essentially uh, then so we're going to go into that a little bit um, another point here that is uh, interesting is uh, from a Malta perspective I'm sitting here in our studio in our main office here in Malta uh, well the island of Malta has shut down the public access to the uh, UBO register uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about why that is the uh, kind of bigger uh, ruling from a European Union uh, uh, kind of perspective and, and what this means as well. Uh, Glitnor has been in the news all week this week. They have been in the headlines Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, so three major stories that came out there. First of all, the uh, announced acquisition of Cafe Rocks, the major affiliate, is not going ahead as planned. Uh, then the next day, uh, Glitnor announced that they are uh, getting into the VC um, realm by uh, starting their own uh, VC uh, venture. So they will uh, start investing in organizations. Instead. And today, 
uh, it was announced that uh, the um, uh, legendary CEO uh, David Flynn uh, of Glitton Group is stepping down. Uh, and he will join. He will continue to join the board at uh, Glitnor. So, um, one, two, three, uh, two, three major stories here from from Glitnor this week. Um, if we have time, we're going to continue on here. Uh, we don't have that much time today, but uh, we want to talk about a little bit from a macro perspective as well. Sometimes we don't only talk about the exact news of the Agami industry here at Agami Next Weekly News, but sometimes it's important to take kind of other factors from other industries or so from a bigger perspective. Uh, into mind here. So today we're going to talk uh, a little bit about the macroeconomic situation and how we think that will affect uh, the um, e- the um, ecosystem uh, from a, or a gambling perspective in the United States. Um, a lot of cash-hungry startups that appeared in the 2020 and 2021 outlier years that uh, potentially are going to have to struggle in order to ex- continue to exist uh, into uh, 2023 and beyond. So we will talk about that. And finally as well, uh, I don't think it has escaped anyone that uh, Disney uh, has let go of their CEO, Bob Chapek, uh, who has been widely criticized for the last three years and reinstated the uh, legendary uh, Bob Iger into the CEO position. Uh, Bob Iger, who um, kind of took, uh, took Disney from a market cap of $48 billion in 2005 up until $257 billion um, at his departure in 2019. He is now back at Disney, widely popular CEO, um, uh, back at the, back at the uh, steering wheel here, who will uh, try to, to basically um, uh, turn the ship around here. Disney has been facing a lot of challenges in the last couple of years. And how will that affect a potential sports betting deal uh, through ESPN that we have talked about a lot? I know that is a topic that is very near and dear to your heart, Nico. But first of all, Nico, do you want to start by doing your summary here? The 10 in 5 that basically never, ever works. Uh, <laughs> and summarize news stories in five short minutes. But I'm going to give you another chance today, Nico. Do you think you can do That's it? That's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. As I didn't manage it in the in the past, that's why you know I had to step down. So fingers crossed, I will do it, and uh, that the dynamic duo will be back on track. Uh, so fingers crossed, I will just start and keep me as uh, short as as uh, possible. Yes, let's do it. Okay. Okay. Let's go. do it. So. Aspire Global has been fined with a roughly uh, 240,000 penalty uh, pounds penalty uh, by the UK um, uh, Gambling Commission, UK uh, GC, for, and that's quite interesting, not running sufficient AML checks on their uh, six of their white um, label uh, partnerships. So there you can actually see uh, that AML is a big uh, topic and uh, the authorities don't hold back on fining as soon as you just um, are not doing a good a good job on this one. Um, then um, staying in the UK, Aldrin details exciting UK developments in Q3 ahead of national lottery operations. So first of all, uh, they finalized on their buyout of um, Camelot, and they just uh, published um, a quarterly trading update for Julie and September. Um, a growth of 11% to um, 960 million um, and an adjusted EBITDA of 320 million euro, um, representing a growth rate of roughly 10%. Uh, Still staying in the United Kingdom, 
um, you know, we're all desperately waiting for the white paper uh, with the new, um, uh, which the, the new gambling commission will come out with. And uh, stake limits of between two and five pounds are reportedly set to be just one of the numbers of reformed lined up to fix what is billed as a catastrophe of online gambling. So we are thrilled to see what will be the final result. Then um, heading into um, a different uh, geolocation, Colombia's gambling sector reports 11.2 million, and I'll repeat million, it ain't billion, uh, which is in the Yogonet um, report, um, in revenues between January and October. Uh, and this is split land-based uh, representing 22.8 billion pesos, which is roughly 7 million US dollars, to online 21 billion pesos, which is representing uh, 4.23 million US dollars. So there you can see that the land base uh, is still big in uh, Colombia. Heading over to Australia, Crown uh, records a 635 million uh, loss for the overall, uh, so for the prospective year of 2022, um, with rising costs uh, in fines and compliance uh, procedures. So uh, with the uh, headlines we had over the last couple of weeks, um, the uh, Australian Gambling Commission also doesn't hold back as soon as it comes to fining companies. This actually plays a role in the overall statement as well. Heading over to the US, Maryland online sports betting market has launched with 16.5 million geolocations recorded. Shout out once again to our friends from GeoComply who did a great job as soon as it came down to the um, New York, state of New York and the estimates of the numbers. So we also see Maryland doing a great, great job. Uh, still staying in Canada, Kanawaki Council launches legal challenge against the Ontario iGaming laws um, as well. Nevada um, marks a 20th consecutive month that the Silver State exceeded 1 billion in total gaming wins. So also for October, the gaming win reaches 1.3 billion US dollar. Then we have quite an interesting story um, on the M&A sector, uh, which represents that for a total of $300 million, Hyatt acquires Dream Hotel Group. So the Dream Hotel Group um, includes uh, one of the Dream Hotels on the Las Vegas strips. And last but not least, DraftKings is about to launch a horse racing uh, app called DK Horse, uh, for U.S. sports betters as well. So we can see that uh, even DraftKings is eyeing on different verticals as well. And that's it from my end. Pierre, you're muted. Pierre, we can't hear you. Oh, sorry. Oh, there we go. Sorry. Yeah, no, all good, all good. Yes, I was saying we, we could... Uh, I think we did it. I think we did it, Nico. I think that was yeah. five minutes. That's incredible. See? We have to go back and check the replay and see exactly the amount of time. But well done, Nico. We are thank you. Uh, thank we are you, ahead of our game you. here today. No, yeah. no ring rust today. In other words, and just want to say uh, hello as well to the chat over here, Katie. Always great to have you here. And for those of you guys uh, who are uh, have not checked it out yet, uh, Katie is hosting her argument fika 
uh, I believe on 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 Fridays uh, on LinkedIn here. So definitely check that out. Lars, Rory, uh, good to see you guys here as well, and uh, hope you guys are doing well out there. Uh, now let's jump into the first story here today. We don't have uh, that much time, uh, of course, and I'd like to um, I'd like to go into the topic of Sweden uh, here and the SGA who introduced the uh, new B2B license that has been pending for a very, very long time. The details of this have, have, um, have uh, not been known. We don't know exactly uh, how this is going to affect the B2Bs financially, um, but uh, here are the details basically. And so the interesting thing is um, the, uh, the Swedish licensor, the SGA, they have chosen not to really call this a B2B license, but a, rather a B2B permit. And the reason for that is they are charging a, a 5,000 euro fee, uh, sorry, not 5,000, 11,000 euro fee in order to uh, acquire this, um, uh, this permit. And it's valid for up to five years. And so that is kind of the one time, time payment that you, uh, that you are obliged to make as a, as a B2B. Um, but there is no tach, uh, tax or any other expenses attached to this uh, uh, permit. And that is the good news for the, for the B2B suppliers. Um, the kind of the purpose of this uh, permit from the SEA is that uh, they want to make the unregulated offering less attractive. And by basically not allowing the B2B suppliers to service the unregulated uh, operators, uh, they are hoping to basically um, asking the, the, uh, the B2B suppliers to make a choice. So either you service the regulated environment by, uh, by acquiring the permit, but then you are not allowed essentially to uh, uh, service unregulated operators with, uh, with your games. Um, this is a similar approach to the uh, Ontario uh, the Ontario licensor as well, which uh, uh, with their B2B license that are also kind of uh, asking the, um, uh, the, uh, the uh, gaming providers to take a stance here. So either you can do either or, but not both, basically. Um, and so uh, this is a, a step uh, for, from the SDA basically to handicap the uh, unregulated uh, uh, environment somewhat. Um, so uh, I thought that was a quite uh, sober approach, uh, actually. They are not trying to kind of um, overcharge the B2Bs and, and make quick revenue and not think more long term. This is an actual good, um, an actual good step uh, in order to uh, kind of curb the unregulated environment a bit. What do you think, Nico? Yeah, it's, um, you know, um, as soon as regulation kicks in, first of all, uh, it's always based on the tax regime because you just want to uh, tax all the operators actually making money uh, in your location or, um, you know, having the headquarters. And that's why you already pointed it out. They are specifically eyeing on evolution, evolution as the um, literally a Cinderella story of, of Sweden besides Spotify uh, and that's um, where they are pretty much aiming uh, for to actually tax something from evolution as well. Well, like we said, the, there is no taxes attached to this uh, B2B um, to this B2B license. The only thing that evolution and other game providers have to do is to pay an 11,000 euro one-time fee and then they have acquired the the, uh, the permit. No other taxes, as far as we know so far, uh, has yeah. been announced at all. So this is uh, is practically zero 
ramifications on a, from a tax uh, or a license uh, fee perspective from evolution. However, what it may do to evolution is um, uh, th they have to switch off uh, certain services uh, for the unregulated offering. Uh, but um, uh, but obviously th there are certain loopholes in the uh, in the Swedish regulation, uh, which uh, potentially can be exploited by the B2Bs as well in order to still uh, stay active on on those pages as well. So uh, there there. Um, uh, so far, the B2B license in, in, in Sweden, it seems to be uh, very friendly to the B2B operators, let's say that. Uh, let's uh, jump over to the next story as well, um, Nico. Uh, basically, I want to jump over to the United States uh, here. So the American Gaming Association, they, uh, they announced uh, the other day, they released some research that they have conducted where they estimate that more than half a trillion dollar is uh, currently wagered to uh, illegal or unregulated uh, offering each year in the uh, in the United States. Um, this um, can be summarized into a 44 billion revenue opportunity that is currently lost in the United States that is going towards the unregulated uh, offering, which then equates to uh, about 13.3 billion in taxes that uh, could have been uh, won by the uh, by the states uh, if they um, in in many cases if they were even uh, legal if there were even legal options in in certain states um, a lion's share of this uh, kind of unregulated offering is going to actually uh, uh, retail in-person gaming machines so in the united states there's more than well more than one million individual gaming machines and a majority of them are unregulated, actually. So all the uh, gaming machines you see in Vegas, obviously the licensed ones in the United States, but then you have a, a, a massive network of uh, gaming machines in bars or in kind of corner stores or wherever you, wherever you, whatever you can think of that are unregulated. And another vertical as well, which is, um, uh, which is uh, heavily... Uh, kind of tilted towards uh, the unregulated environment is iGaming, uh, actually. So in the in the United States, and we're going to pull up a, a chart here for those of you who are watching in one second. Uh, so you will see here if we pull if we pull this chart up, you can see here exactly uh, how the unregulated versus regulated um, revenue uh, stream looks like. So first of all, uh, you can look here at the the gaming machine revenue, where you can see it's about fifty fifty. Uh, between the licensed and unlicensed uh, expected revenue. But then when we jump over to the third bar here, you can see iGaming revenue, which is something like 75% of all estimated uh, revenue from iGaming or online gambling. Uh, so the um, slot, online slots activity and uh, so on is, uh, uh, is generated from the unregulated offering. So you have obviously the likes of Bulldog, the likes of Stake.com, Rubet, so on and so forth, the traditional crypto casinos that we hear all the time. They generate 75% estimated uh, of the total uh, iGaming revenue in the United States today. The reason for that, of course, is that only five states uh, in the United States today uh, are, are have regulated iGaming, and the rest are totally unregulated and the only way for you to uh, to gamble online uh, at those states is in the unregulated environment of course and then the fourth bar here of course is the sports betting uh, vertical where we can see 
the opposite, with uh, about 75% uh, of the total uh, revenue generated is within the regulated environment and about 25% uh, outside of the um, regulated uh, environment here. So summarizing these charts, you can see that uh, approximately 75% of all revenue, of all gambling revenue, whether it's online or offline, um, is uh, generated within uh, the regulated environment. So the channelization rate is 75% approximately, according to the American Gaming Association uh, uh, here. What's, um, what's your thoughts uh, here, Nico? Yeah, it's um, as as uh, already lined out uh, uh, from from your end. Um, uh, first of all, thanks to uh, Katie uh, that it's six states for iGaming already, and uh, thirty-one plus states where sports betting is uh, actually licensed, uh, and that's where the big difference actually uh, comes from. And she already, or Katie, once again, shout out uh, that um, an estimated roughly five hundred and eighty thousand unregulated machines in the US um, are compared to exactly uh, 870,000 regulated uh, uh, machines. And that's where the big difference uh, actually uh, comes comes from. And with just six already licensed iGaming states, you know, it's pretty easy uh, to sign up at an offshore uh, iGaming offering, a casino, uh, 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 play some slots, play some uh, roulette, whatever. You just need a VPN and then you're on. Um, as soon as they don't, uh, you know, uh, or as soon as you can just deposit money, withdraw money, uh, it's all up to you, all up to yours. And uh, that's why you just see actually the big, big difference. And as you already pointed out, we are speaking about big numbers, half a trillion uh, US dollars. And that's why we're also facing um, like the... Uh, the the big investments and this is something which we will pick up later on as uh, as well during the hour um, of uh, companies actually eyeing uh, to get into uh, the big pots of uh, of the money uh, and are spending big actually to get something out uh, of of uh, someone else's uh, pockets as well. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a bit uh, ambiguous, the five, six uh, states in, in North America. So, so, Katie, correct me if I'm wrong here. Not sure if you are uh, including Nevada as well, which is uh, online poker, but not online online gambling. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, and uh, I know that the state of Delaware as well, that, which has uh, legal iGaming under the, the purview of the state lottery. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I suppose uh, uh, there's five states that are like, clearly regulated and then another two which yeah uh, are, are a little bit more ambiguous here but nonetheless um, another as well uh, kind of argument you're saying there's like a massive amount of uh, unregulated gambling machines is um, uh, American Gaming Association also conducted some studies uh, where they calculated the average RTP of the uh, regulated versus unregulated um, uh, gambling machines and they came up with uh, the fact that the regulated machines generally have in Vegas uh, generally have an average of like 93% RTP. So of every hundred dollars you, ga you gamble uh, on average, you get back $93. Um, whereas the unregulated gambling machines, they would have a, an RTP of only 75%, which is uh, considerably lower, of course. So for every hundred dollar you gamble, 25 uh, goes to uh, the unregulated uh, operator and 75 uh, back to you basically. Um, so interesting uh, stuff from the American Gaming Association, Nico. We are uh, 
running through the agenda here today. And, you know, I want to jump over a bit, uh, Nico, to uh, uh, the kind of the main point that we, we uh, would like to chat about today, which is uh, taking, again, a little bit more on the macro perspective here while we are staying on the topic of the United States. Um, you know, in the 2020 and 2021, and I suppose the start of 2022 were kind of outlier years from a macroeconomic perspective where obviously a, a lot of an extreme amount of money was pumped into the system, uh, which led to an enormous amount of money uh, flying into the, um, uh, the VC funds, which in turn uh, competed to essentially uh, fund as many projects as they could. And that in turn led to a very, very vibrant uh, startup ecosystem. And um, uh, definitely the iGaming uh, industry and the online sports betting industry in the United States benefited from uh, that uh, time where uh, a lot of really interesting, really exciting, really creative uh, startups uh, emerged during 2020, 2021 and beginning of 2022. Uh, however, as we all know, interest rates are increasing as an uh, as a byproduct to the high inflation, to curb the high inflation. And um, just the other day, actually, I think, uh, I think it was yesterday, the markets rallied, which is kind of interesting because um, uh, Jerome Powell, the, the head of the, um, uh, of, the, um, of the Federal Reserve in the United States, he made a statement where he basically said that uh, from now on, we will expect lower um, interest rate hikes. So the last couple of, of uh, months, they have uh, announced interest rate hikes of 0.75% uh, 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 per increase uh, rate uh, heightened, basically. And essentially what Jerome Powell is saying that is that from now on, he expects that the interest rate hikes will be more like 0.5, basically, so 500 um, basis points. So based on this statement, the, the markets rallied. Now, there are some pretty interesting statements uh, if you read a little bit more into this statement, which is Jerome Powell doesn't exactly say that we are going to get out of this um, kind of difficult financial climate earlier. Uh, he is actually saying the opposite. He thinks that uh, we will stay in this difficult time longer than expected. And he thinks that the, the terminal rate, as in the, the maximum interest rate before uh, you'll see interest rate uh, declining again, will actually be higher than expected. So the previous uh, estimate was uh, about 4.6% was going to be the terminal rate, whereas the estimation uh, today is uh, around 5 to 5.2%. And he thinks that uh, we'll see the terminal rate somewhere in, in and around May of next year. Um, previous expectations for many people were that from summer 2023, we were going to see the interest rate coming down. Uh, however, the expectation now is more that like towards the end of 2023, uh, that's when we will see the interest rates uh, coming down again. Um, uh, Jerome Powell is very careful in saying that like, even though inflation decreased uh, in the last report, these are very kind of like unstable uh, reports today and uh, we cannot take for granted that inflation is actually easing based on just the month by month number we need to see a little bit more history 
and a little bit more data over time before we we can with um, with certainty saying that uh, the in increased interest rates are actually having an effect. And so to put it short, essentially, the the landscape that a lot of the, the cash-hungry startups are operating in at the moment, which is very difficult times right now, is very difficult to raise capital, uh, of course. And um, so the the instead the focus for many of the startups has to be a path towards profitability. But in an environment like the U.S. online sports betting and online gambling environment is like today. Uh, the question is, uh, is there even a path to profitability for many of these startups and um, smaller operators and B2B uh, companies that are kind of fighting uh, for a chance to uh, integrate into just one of few operators uh, in, the, in, in the next, uh, say, six to 12 uh, months or so? And so the question has to be raised here. Um, we saw, obviously, the other week that uh, Carousel Group um, with uh, the flagship brand Maximbet folded and um, the, the reason for that was that they weren't able to uh, raise capital basically and so the question is uh, will we see other uh, operators and suppliers within the US um, online uh, gambling and online sports betting uh, ecosystem also folding in the in the near future what, what do you think Nico? Yeah it's uh, first of all uh, once again, shout out uh, to Daniel Daniel Gretzer. First of all, giving uh, this kind of uh, cash-hungry uh, environment a shot with uh, Maximbet, so the um, joint venture with uh, the Maxim and the uh, Carousel Group. So once again, uh, uh, Daniel, uh, good good job. Although it didn't uh, didn't work out, but it also didn't work out for for even, even bigger uh, companies. As soon as it comes to refinancing, you have the series A, B, C, and D. Um, as soon as you just, you know, are on the verve of getting from series A to series B, et cetera, you are in demand of fresh money. Uh, we have the same story in, in Germany with Gorillas, which is one of the companies uh, actually guaranteeing you that you can get your day-to-day um, supplements within a time frame of uh, 15 to 30 minutes and they had been so cash hungry they needed to get uh, to finance roughly more than 1 billion and raise one than more billion uh, and that's why uh, they now have been uh, pretty much sold already to a competitor with get ear but getting back to the US if you just uh, take into account um, which uh, companies you're actually going toe-to-toe, -to -toe. Uh, it's the FanDuels, it's the DraftKings, it's the BetMGM, and it's the Caesars. So these are uh, companies with, with pretty deep pockets already, and if you want to compete uh, with them, you just need uh, to enter the market um, with cash, and like a lot of cash. You know, with the um, sign-up and first deposit bonus of $3,000 in uh, as soon as New York uh, started uh, and Caesars just offered this one. Even then, the board of Caesars actually um, has not been that happy with the uh, kind of money which had been spent within this kind of uh, marketing uh, action. Um, so I'm pretty sure that especially with the markets of Florida, not the uh, open Seminole tribe still holding the uh, the the uh, monopoly, um, California Prop 27 not gone through. Prop 26 uh, has failed um, as well. 
Um, so, um, and this is something which we all always discuss like, uh, discuss like, okay, the market will clear out itself. Uh, and once again, shout out to the Bet365, uh, which had been very, very low profile and um, very quiet in entering the US market. They just, you know, uh, started and working in uh, Ontario or offering their uh, services in on Ontario. And I'm pretty sure that's why they are holding back. They just want to see um, that the market in the US clears out and cleans out itself, and then they will enter uh, the market. So as of now, it ain't a good market for a startup uh, to actually try and to uh, get some market share. Absolutely, Nico. And I, I know that you have a quite interesting uh, chart that you brought today as well. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so uh, the chart we uh, we have is um, it, it just actually uh, shows to walk you a, a little bit. Um, it, as soon as you start start a company, it's usually the uh, uh, friends and and family investing into your into your company. This is when nearly one hundred percent of the shares are still with the uh, initial founders, and then you actually see the bigger the company actually uh, gets. Um, then the founders actually have to uh, give away more money. And this is what's uh, pretty much shown in the, uh, in the uh, graphics. So it just starts with a uh, young child, a newborn, a little baby. Then you are sitting at a, uh, at a table with uh, family and, and friends. And then you are actually building uh, the company and you're acquiring and acquiring uh, more money and giving away more and more, more uh, shares. Uh, which actually results um, into um, in, into a big skyscraper building where you have a, a pretty uh, yeah how, how how should we call call it a very diversified uh, pie chart um, where um, actually you know through uh, through the time <clears throat> VC companies and they usually don't don't play uh, play around so they uh, literally take over. Um, with respect to uh, guaranteed interest rates, uh, then another um, keyword which each and everybody should uh, be aware of is liquidation preference. Uh, so the later stage you can actually you can actually see the more money uh, you will raise by um, external um, VCs or funds, um, the the more you will have to step back as one of the uh, founding founding partners as the VCs usually get a liquidation preference of one, which means that they are the first to being served. So uh, whatever is left uh, as soon as you uh, literally sell sell a company, first of all, they they are getting um, guaranteed interest rates, which usually are uh, in the double digits, uh, meaning uh, up from 10%, 12% is, is quite normal. So they are getting paid back their money and whatever is left then, then they will get their shares. And when they have been pleased, then the overall uh, money will get um, uh, shared between the uh, original founders. And what's also mentioned within the, um, within the graphics as well. So it's, uh, uh, so you rather hold 17% of a big company uh, which is represented in the skyscraper where you have the very diversified pie charts rather than 100% of nothing. And that's the literally underlying reason why 
um, startups are so cash hungry and are specifically looking to onboard more, more and more money. Exactly, and th this is uh, th there's two different strategies here. So either you can remain uh, a founder that owns 100% of your company, and you can strive to grow very slowly um, and make a small profit and not try to change the world, or as uh, many startups do, which is um, funding the company by growth. So every year, every second year, you go through a new funding round uh, in order to um, in order to invest as heavily as you can, and then increase the uh, increase the valuation of the company and then you go to seek more funding and uh, you you invest that money and hopefully that will increase the uh, the the valuation of the company you can do that until eternity in theory but the problem is of course that uh, when we when we hit like a uh, difficulty in the economy when uh, access to capital is not uh, easy then this uh, growth strategy doesn't work anymore or at least it becomes very risky or um, you risk basically raising capital on a much, much lower valuation. So say that you raised $100 million at a $1 billion valuation in 2021. Well, if you want to raise more capital today, the valuation may only be $200 million. Uh, and so you have to give up a lot more of your uh, share capital uh, in order to then raise uh, more money and to stay afloat as an, as an organization. Uh, but it's quite interesting. I mean, I can I can relate to this in in our own uh, little journey. Um, Martin, my co-founder, he started our company in 2012, and uh, uh, after oh sorry, in 2013, and um, shortly after I joined as the co-founder, and uh, later down down the line, we raised capital. We got uh, our investors into into the business, which was uh, Yolo, Lassan, Marisug, and uh, Robin Reed. And then from there, we have raised capital in order to kind of invest into our company. And hopefully one day we'll sit at the top of the skyscraper. But uh, that's a very, very long time, <laughs> very, very long way from now. Uh, but, at uh, least we'll you're all, already exploring the market uh, with the skyscraper uh, by doing the iGaming next in New York. And I'm pretty sure each and well, everybody's looking forward to it in, in March. Uh, so you, you can already... Uh, kind <laughs> of uh, get familiar with the with the air um, at the top of a skyscraper, which gets thinner and thinner and thinner. Exactly, exactly. Well, we are at level one uh, in the uh, in the in the midtown convene there. So uh, yeah, we we've gotten off the ground, I suppose. But there's a long way to go there. Uh, but yes, I, I thank you for the motivation, Nico. I appreciate that. Uh, I want to go into the last story of today here, Nico, as well. Um, you know, we can't uh, go through this uh, weekly news without talking about Disney and without talking about the ever reoccurring question if Disney are ever going to uh, get their feet wet and enter the online sports betting uh, industry through their um, sports brand ESPN. And Nico, perhaps you want to lead this story a bit. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, the latest news uh, here on uh, Disney, who have just changed CEO? Yeah, so uh, first of all, and uh, also a good uh, good um, uh, read as, uh, um, as well, uh, Bob Iger once uh, released a book uh, about his journey with Disney and how he actually managed uh, to uh, increase the value, uh, which you have already pointed out, uh, from um a, a low double digit billion uh, company to 250 billion dollar company uh, so it was quite a ride so whoever's interested in a good a good read just look out for um bob um Iger's, 
um, story about his journey with, with Disney. So what has happened? So first of all, um, his uh, you know, twin in the name, uh, Bob Chapek and uh, Bob Iger. Bob Chapek, who was all, always the driving force uh, since almost um, more than one year with respect to specifically eyeing for the sports betting vertical. Uh, you know, as soon as it came down to investor talks, he was uh, openly speaking about, yeah, we are eyeing on the sports betting uh, vertical. And then it was, okay, will they actually um, buy into a sports betting company? Will they cooperate with a sports betting company? Will they develop it on their own? Uh, then they finally... Uh, agreed on a deal with DraftKings in early October. Uh, and oh, brother, it, was, uh, it was speculated a deal. It's important to, uh, to mention that it was a speculation. <laughs> yes, never an agreed deal. Okay, okay. <laughs> so it was a speculation, but it was never denied by, uh, never denied by neither yes. DraftKings or Disney that exactly. these talks actually have happened. And as of now, uh, with Bob Chapek actually stepping down, if I'm not mistaken, by end of October, so almost uh, one month uh, um, uh, ago, and Bob Iger um, actually taking over uh, once again, it seems like the overall talks with Disney eyeing on a sports betting vertical have stopped. And that's why there are no news um, with respect to, okay, how will the cooperation with DraftKings actually uh, work? Um, and um, that's, as of now, um, the overall um, eyeing and getting into the sports betting vertical seems to be on hold or stopped uh, with um, Iger actually uh, taking over. Yeah, exactly. So essentially, uh, the um, uh, Jimmy Pitaro, who is the ESPN Sports Content Chairman, he uh, he uh, he participated in a panel at the Sports uh, Sports Journal uh, content series here the other day, and basically he got asked the question: Then, uh, what is the current uh, status of uh, uh, ESPN potential um, entry into the sports betting uh, vertical? And as you mentioned here, J Jimmy made it clear that essentially. Um, they are not looking to launch a proprietary offering through ESPN. They are definitely not going to launch their own sportsbook. They are, however, they are absolutely looking for a licensing deal. And they have been talking to not just DraftKings, but he's, as Jimmy put it, he's been talking to all the usual suspects. So we can guess who they are, of course. Um, but so far, no uh, deal has been set, basically. So what they are looking to do is they are looking to license the ESPN brand eventually. So we might expect like an ESPNbet.com operated by yeah, fill in the blank, basically, at some point. This is what Jimmy has confirmed. However, with the installment of uh, Bob Iger, uh, Jim Jimmy has to basically convince Bob Iger that this is... Um, that this is a, a good opportunity for Disney. And Bob Iger isn't just looking at this uh, potential revenue stream from a ESPN point of view, but he's also looking at it from a Disney lens. So how would, uh, uh, how would a licensing deal with an online sportsbook reflect on the Disney brand? That is how uh, Bob Iger will look at this. And uh, Jimmy Pitaro went on to say that he basically... Uh, spoke to Bob Iger this week. Uh, they didn't speak specifically about online sports betting, but uh, uh, Jimmy expects that uh, he will have to kind of walk through 
um, this opportunity with Bobiger so that he understands it. And then, of course, Bobiger uh, will then take, on, um, take a decision later down the line whether to continue to pursue this uh, potential revenue stream or not. Uh, that is the that is the the current state of play. And there has been some other speculation here that um, maybe we'll see down the line even ESPN uh, separating, parting ways from uh, from from Disney in order to pursue uh, this and other deals uh, that uh, are in the pipeline. Because um, from ESPN point of view, this is an enormous uh, potential revenue stream. Uh, the, the licensing deal with um, with uh, with um, DraftKings was uh, rumored to be in the billions, uh, right? So it's uh, it's a lot of money that is uh, that is on the line here. But again, uh, Bob uh, Iger may look at this from a Disney point of view and say that this does not uh, reflect uh, well on the Disney overall brand. We'll just have to wait and see, essentially. But uh, the, the discussion has taken a step back, let's say, since uh, the entry of Bob Iger here. So that is that. Um, Nico, uh, thank you so much for today. This has been uh, fantastic as per usual. It's good to be back here with you, uh, Nico. Always uh, uh, nice to, uh, to do a nice comeback here, of course. And I uh, want to thank everyone who uh, tuned in here as well uh, today to the AgriMenX Weekly News. It's always great to have you guys here. And uh, Nico, I guess it's time. We head down to the beach. <laughs> Exactly. For, for another Pino right. Colada, another Pino Colada joining Ian Endless. Turnbull from uh, from the zone uh, because just getting back to the ESPN and, um, you know, um, entering the sports betting vertical, pre I'm pretty sure as soon as the zone, the zone bet uh, will actually be launched. Uh, as of now, they are just uh, operating on a um, better version in the UK. So as soon as they will uh, launch their, their product, their overall product, maybe this will result in some momentum for ESPN as well, as they pretty much have the same offering uh, already. So we will join Ian Turnbull, who's desperately waiting at the beach for the both of us uh, with three glasses of pina colada. And uh, I'm pretty sure he will be happy seeing our faces. I love it. I love it. I love Ian, <laughs> Ian as well. Nico, thank you so much. Everyone for tuning in. Thank Ian, you. everyone else, Katie, take care. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye.